Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutics Thursday podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Norman Pillsbury. I'm the Assistant Director of Pharmacy at Orange Park Medical Center, and I will be your host today for the ASHP Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. With me today are Tina Sam and Kina Lanham. Tina Sam is the Pharmacy Clinical Coordinator at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. With practice interest in advanced heart failure, transplant, and population health. Kina Lanham is the cardiovascular clinical pharmacy specialist at Ascension St. Vincent in Indianapolis, Indiana, with practice interest in cardiac ICU, pulmonary hypertension, perioperative and periprocedural cardiovascular care. Thanks for joining us today, Tina and Kina. Let's get started talking about today's topic, the rise of the empire, SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure. Our first question is two parts. How do SGLT2 inhibitors work for diabetes? And what is the mechanism for heart failure? So I'll start off with the mechanism, which is in the name of SGLT2 inhibitors. So SGLT2 stands for sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors. And as their name suggests, they inhibit sodium glucose co-transporters in the proximal convoluted tubule in the kidney, which decreases kidney glucose reabsorption and thus increasing the urinary excretion of glucose. So in diabetes, the increase urinary excretion decreases the blood glucose level of the patient. The efficacy in diabetes is modest as it lowers the A1C by about a half to a whole percentage A1C point. Outside of diabetes, getting into the mechanism as it benefits heart failure, the most obvious mechanism for me involve the diuresis and the naturesis that results from the sodium co-transporter inhibition. The decrease in volume reduces ventricular preload and afterload. Some other mechanisms involve the metabolism, improved cardiac metabolism with these agents. The agents have an increased fatty oxid oxidation and ketogenesis. This results in a more efficient metabolism and This more efficient metabolism reduces myocardial ischemia through reducing myocardial demand and also potentially decrease reperfusion injury and possibly even decrease arrhythmias and also improved other conditions that result from the downstream inflammatory states as the result of these metabolic inefficiencies in our heart failure patients. There's also another proposed mechanism involving downstream ion exchange inhibition of calcium, calmodulin, sodium, and hydrogen ion channels enhancing myochondrial calcium levels, which improve contractile function. What is the data for SGLT2 inhibitors for heart failure in patients with diabetes? 
Yeah, this is a great question. I think to answer this best, it's important to think through the history of where we got to reframing the role of SGLT2 inhibitors beyond its glucose-lowering effect. Given the high prevalence of CV disease or cardiovascular disease in diabetes, in addition to the signal that we saw for increased cardiovascular risk for rosy glitazone, FDA had issued a guidance in 2008 adding a requirement for demonstrating cardiovascular safety for all new diabetes medications, which we now know as the cardiovascular outcomes trial. As a result, we have now serendipitously discovered that not only are these medications not harmful when it comes to cardiovascular disease, but in fact, they are powerful agents that protect against cardiovascular disease and reduce mortality. We know diabetes and heart failure go hand in hand, given that they both independently increase the risk of the other and they are both linked to worse morbidity and mortality. It's very interesting because previous trials have looked at the impact of glucose control on heart failure outcomes, and they have been lackluster, to say the least. Yet the signals that we've seen from the cardiovascular outcomes trials for the SGLT2 inhibitors, which, as Kina mentioned, are modest at best for glycemic control, have shown us that we can now link the management of diabetes and heart failure. I'm going to walk us through some of the history of some of the major cardiovascular outcomes trials with SGLT2 inhibitors, which our first one was Empereg outcome trial. This created waves in the cardiology community as a whole. Empereg sought to assess the effect of SGLT2 in inhibition with empagliflozin on cardiovascular outcomes in patients that had type 2 diabetes and established atherosclerotic disease. About 10% of the study population had heart failure. The primary endpoint of major adverse cardiovascular events was significantly decreased, and this reduction was driven by a decrease in cardiovascular mortality. We also saw an overall decrease in heart failure hospitalization across a broad spectrum of baseline cardiovascular risk states. Following Empereg, Canvas was published, and this was the canagliflozin trial in patients with type 2 diabetes, and they either had established atherosclerotic disease or were high risk for cardiovascular events. And yet again, we saw another SGLT2 inhibitor demonstrate cardiovascular benefit with lower risk of cardiovascular mortality. We also see that canagliflozin significantly reduced heart failure hospitalization compared to placebo in both patients with and without history of heart failure. We've also seen subsequent sub-analyses of both of these trials that in patients specifically with high cardiovascular risk, that there was a greater reduction for heart failure hospitalization risk in those who had history of heart failure versus those that did not. And so really we see Declare Timmy, which was our dapagliflozin trial. This trial really landed the plane on this question, right? It was originally designed with a prime 
primary safety outcome of MACE or major adverse cardiovascular events, but the investigators strategically changed the design after they saw the overwhelming positive impact of cardiovascular events with Empireg and Canvas. So the trial was amended to include heart failure hospitalizations as a co-primary endpoint. And yet again, we saw significant reductions in heart failure hospitalizations, as well as cardiovascular deaths in this population. Thank you. How about for those without diabetes? Is there a benefit? So this has been an evolving topic as we continue to get data to support the independent, robust cardiovascular benefit on, of SGLT2s across various subgroups. Just recently, DAPA-HF was a game changer as it included patients both with and without diabetes. This one included heart failure hospitalizations or cardiovascular death as a primary endpoint. And here we saw dapagliflozin reduce the combined risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalization for heart failure by 26% and the risk of cardiovascular death alone by 18% with clear benefit even in patients that did not have diabetes. So this was groundbreaking at the time. And now, just a few weeks ago, we saw the results of Emperor Reduced was just released. So Emperor Reduced was looking at empagliflozin or Jardians. The results will be fully shared at the European Society of Cardiology meeting, which will occur virtually at the end of August, which I'm looking forward to seeing (laughs) further. But this study has given us further evidence that this is likely a class effect in being able to see consistent benefit for those with and without diabetes. This trial looked at empagliflozin in patients with HEFRAF and, and yet again showed benefit independent of baseline diabetes status. Pertinent differences from the DAPA-HF trial was that Emperor Reduce included a population that had more symptoms, higher baseline biomarker levels, and a higher background ARNI exposure, which was a limitation that some have postulated about uh, DAPA-HF. So this really makes the case for SGLT adoption in heart failure even more compelling. Is this a class effect, or are there only specific ones that have been shown to be of benefit? Yeah, so this was certainly proving to be a class effect on multiple levels. A meta-analysis was done on the Empereg outcome, trial, canvas, and declare Timmy, and all of them have demonstrated cardiovascular benefit amongst the three SGLT2s that have been studied for which we have results in patients both with and without a history of heart failure. So now we see that effect transcend or is consistent despite baseline history of heart failure. We also have real-world studies from CVD Real as well as the ongoing Emprise that have also demonstrated significant reduction in heart failure hospitalization risk in patients with type 2 diabetes with or without atherosclerotic disease. And then as we discussed previously, now we have data from both DAPA-HF trial and the Emperor Reduced trial that within heart failure, we are indeed seeing a class effect with benefit in patients both who had um, diabetes as well as those who did not have diabetes at baseline. Thank you. 
What adverse effects should practitioners and patients be concerned about? So as expected, as we understand the mechanism of the SGLT2 inhibitors is to increase the urinary excretion of glucose, there is an increased risk of infection. So mostly genital or urinary tract infections, both fungal and bacterial. And there's also a risk of Fournier's gangrene, specifically listed in the labeling in all of the three agents in the class. Extending from that infection risk, a U.S. box warning is contained within the canaglifosin package insert for lower limb amputations, and this warning is extended to the other agents in the class. Given these risks for infection, we should potentially consider other options in patients with a heavy history of infections or diabetic neuropathy or other neuropathies, peripheral arterial disease, diabetic foot ulcers or any other clinical scenario that would increase the patient's infection risk or more serious nature, their amputation risk. Another concerning adverse effect involves the development of ketoacidosis. The beneficial mechanisms that I discussed earlier with the metabolic alterations with these agents shift the use of metabolism from glucose to fat metabolism for energy. And the resulting ketogenesis and free fatty acid production increases the risk for ketoacidosis. This is more likely to occur in patients undergoing stress, stressful situations such as an acute illness or surgery or hospitalization, and in patients with decreasing food intake or the decreasing intake of glucose in general for energy. And the third adverse effect of the SGLT2 inhibitors involves the volume depletion that could result in hypotension or even acute renal dysfunction at extremes. This effect is more concerning to me as an inpatient cardiac pharmacist, as I see patients with heart failure that often have many other diuretics in their medication list and could have an increased risk for overdiuresis. What studies are underway with using SGLT2s for heart failure? So there's a number of studies listed in clinicaltrials.gov that involve the effect of these drugs on the quality of life and their impact on improving quality of life in patients with diabetes and or heart failure. But there's also, which again, from myself as an inpatient cardiac pharmacist, there are a few studies looking at patients admitted with acute decompensated heart failure. So dipagliflozin and impagliflozin both have studies evaluating patients with acute decompensated heart failure in addition to the quality of life studies. What questions remain regarding the use of SGLT2s for heart failure? Yeah, there are still many unanswered questions on how to best adopt these therapies in heart failure. I mean, we we now have a breadth of evidence of hugely positive benefits in heart failure. However, I mean, we also know that our armamentarium of heart failure continues to grow, which is a wonderful thing. However, many of these therapies are quite costly. You know, we think about the ARNI compound, which has really now become part of our traditional triple therapy 
And we realized some of the access issues that we originally had and continue to have with getting patients on these therapies. And yet again, we have another costly medication that is not always covered by insurance. And so many of the questions that have come up is in regards to optimal timing. For example, when we have a lot of pill burden in our population and we want to set our patients up for success, we want to ensure we can promote adherence. Yet at the same time, we know that less than 1% of patients that have chronic heart failure are currently receiving recommended guidelines-directed medical therapy at target doses. We really have to be careful about how we strategically adopt these therapies into our practice. As we add this to our armamentarium, it's important to ensure that we're also optimizing doses of our background therapies. And so how we time this in relation to our background GDMT has been a question that continues. And hopefully, as more data comes out and as we have some future guidelines, recommendations come out, we'll have more insight on how to effectively do so and ensure that we're promoting adherence yet again. Also, there's still a question about the role in therapy as basically as our fourth GDMT agent is what we're seeing. But the question remains, who is the right patient? And I have a feeling that when the guidelines do get updated, it's going to really mirror the patient populations that we saw that ESGLT2 inhibitors were utilized in within the DAPA-HF trial and the EMPRO-reduced trial. So mostly patients who were class 2 or class 3 who were optimized on background GDMT rather than patients who are class four, for example, who were excluded from the trial. We also, as I alluded before, are going to need answers on when we optimally start therapy, again, relating back to affordability and and how we optimize therapy in this population. Specifically for me, I'm a heart failure, heart transplant pharmacist. So a question that always comes up is impact on cardiorenal outcomes. We're seeing a lot of data from the Credence trial, from the DAPA-CKD trial, that the, the effects of the SGLT2 inhibitors, yet again, go beyond glucose-lowering effect and now have vast effects on decreasing kidney disease progression. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the impact, particularly on heart failure, as cardiorenal is such a debilitating phenomenon with increasing morbidity and mortality. And then yet again, how do we really optimize adoption? It's a new drug. How do we gain familiarity? And as Tina mentioned, there's a lot of nuances. And we'll talk through this in a little bit, but this is where as pharmacists, we certainly can play a big role in increasing education efforts, both with our providers and our team, inpatient and outpatient, as well as with patient education to, again, really set them up for success and achieving the best outcomes with these therapies. Just this May, dapagliflozin became the first SGLT2 inhibitor approved by the FDA to treat adult patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction with and without type 2 diabetes. How has this changed your practice? So for me on the inpatient side, our discussions have been ongoing of whether or not to add this as a formulary agent. And the discussions differ whether the patient has been taking an SGLT2 as an outpatient and is admitted, or if the patient has heart failure and or diabetes 
and is admitted without previous SGLT2 use. If the patient is on the medication at home, then the question arises whether there is the benefit to continue the agent for days to weeks, the hospital stay, and that benefit weighed against the risk of continuing the agent while the patient undergoes procedures requiring interruption of food and the risk of hypoglycemia or ketoacidosis. And on the other hand, if the patient is eligible for the addition of an SGLT2 to his or her medication regimen, we would usually recommend these as an outpatient initiation considering complex insurance approval processes, in addition to the necessary follow-up monitoring that might be overlooked if the medication is prescribed by the inpatient care team. Yeah, we are seeing a very similar story here at our institution. We've been lucky to have partaken in many of the major trials for SGLT2 inhibitors and heart failure, including DAPA-HF, and we're really able to learn from our patient experiences. Our advanced heart failure clinics have been an early adopter, really treating the SGLT2 inhibitors as a fourth GDMT agent in our patients who are already optimized on background therapy, and this is regardless of their baseline diabetes status. To mitigate risk of adverse effects, as Kina mentioned earlier and alluded to the importance of patient education, we really try to ensure appropriate education and routine screening. And also, due to that modest diuretic effect, we have had to adjust baseline diuretic regimens frequently in this population. It really has been a true multidisciplinary effort. The barrier, however, continues to be accessibility as we do struggle with insurance approval. Even with DAPA getting FDA approval, we're, we're still seeing some access issues there. I'm hoping this will improve um, after the recent AHA consensus update and future incorporation into the heart failure guidelines. But I think it'll be exciting to see the critical role that pharmacists are and will play in patient education, provider education, and really developing treatment pathways. There are also, as we mentioned before, many unanswered questions that remained, which pharmacists can play a lead role in helping to research to provide us further valuable insight on how we really utilize these powerful tools. Above all, as a heart failure community, we still need to focus our efforts on optimizing initiation and titration of background GDMT, now including the SGLT2 inhibitors. As we mentioned before, the CHAMP-HF registry has shown that very few patients receive target doses of GDMT, and only 1% were simultaneously on triple therapy. So adding a fourth is surely going to complicate matters, but again, given the breadth of data that GDMT as a whole works, we really owe it to our patients to develop mechanisms to optimize use of these life-saving medications. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Tina Sam and Kina Lanham for joining us today to discuss the role of SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure. Join us here every Thursday where we talk with ASHP members who are content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. 
be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.